Greetings once again and welcome to another edition of the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston. Thrilled that you are joining us once again, wherever you are in the world and however you may be listening. Now, we have covered a lot of things here on Live Happy Now. We've completed what we're calling our first season. We've talked about a 90 Days to a Happier You challenge. We've released a new book, Live Happy 10 Practices for Choosing Joy. It's available now. I'm so excited about it. And, of course, we've heard from uh, happiness and well-being experts like Christine Carter, Dr. Drew Ramsey, Tal Ben-Shahar, and Sonia Lubmeyerski, uh, some of which we're going to showcase in this episode today and have even had some enlightening conversations with celebrities like Ross Matthews and Lisa Loeb. We did not get a free pair of glasses for talking to Lisa Loeb, though. I think full disclosure on that. Uh, we are gearing up for a new season of Live Happy Now. It's going to launch in late August, and we are busy putting that all together. And as we get ready to do that, we do want to hear from you. We still want your opinions. LiveHappy.com slash survey. Take you about two minutes, and if you do so, you could win some Live Happy gear, T-shirts, hats, tumblers, all kinds of cool stuff, and uh, you could win it if you get involved in the process by taking that survey. Again, livehappy.com slash survey. We've heard her voice already. Deborah Heisey is joining us again, the CEO and editor-in-chief. And uh, what, what what jobs don't you have within the magazine? Yours. Mine. Well, <laughs> but, but I mean, in some ways you've co-hosted, so in some ways you have that one too. Uh, <laughs> We're glad to have you here as we look back at uh, some of the things that we've discussed. Uh, Really, since January 1st, we've had so many great things uh, because of the book, because of uh, great issues. I mean, there's so much to get through. It was a jam-packed first half of the year. You know, uh, one of the favorite things that we did was this 90 Days to a Happier You Challenge. You know, we had five of our own staff members take challenges to improve their happiness in their own life. They shared with us. The uh, coaches that they worked with shared with us. It was a lot of fun doing it. It, it really was, and I think the thing that I liked about it is there was something from each of these uh, coaches and each of our uh, coworkers here that I was able to take something from it. I think you were able to take a lot of things from it, and hopefully the listeners and the readers were able to as well. Yeah, you know, it, it was also great because it, it gave us a crossover from the magazine to online to the podcast. We were really able to examine these issues from a 360 perspective and spend a lot of time on each one of them, and I think... All five of the issues are things that people deal with at various points in their life or that a lot of people can struggle with. And there are two that we're going to hear from again here that I think really a lot of people, in fact, I would dare to say the vast majority of people listening can relate to, uh, that is unplugging from work and getting good enough sleep. And Christine Carter is a sociologist and senior fellow at UC Berkeley's Greater Good Science Center and author of The Sweet Spot. And which uh, Live Happy staff member did she help again? Uh, Donna, our executive editor, who was going so far as to answering emails at stoplights and just not Uh. really able to be disconnected from her email at all. And she really worked with her and helped Donna set some limits. And I, I think, you know, as we know from talking to Donna, it really helped change the way she approached digital media on a regular basis. Absolutely. Here was some of the advice that we got from Christine Carter when she joined us on Live Happy Now. The end goal here is to become more productive, more effective at your work, a better team member, a bet, you know, it's for you to do better work and, incidentally, to be happier, be more joyful. Know that there is a ton of research on this that shows that people, for starters, who establish predictable time off, that's what the people at Harvard call it, um, that where they communicate with their team members and their managers and 
whoever they need to, that, you know, they're not going to check their phone during dinner time, for example. They, they're predictable to everybody else in the time off that they're going to take. Those people not only are viewed better by the people that they work with, and, and are more satisfied at work, but they're also more effective on the job. Your manager is likely to think of you as being more effective. And that is because you will start to respond more thoughtfully to all the information that's coming in instead of just reacting to it. Mm -hmm. So let the rest of your team react to it, and then you be the one to give the thoughtful response that can kind of summarize all of the reactions that everybody else has had. You know, it's, it's actually a highly functional, much more effective way of operating in the world. You know, this is, a, this is kind of the way I handle my email and social media. You know, you see a lot of, uh, of our employees go back and forth about things. And, you know, when we're putting out for thought, if I weigh in too early, it kind of ends the conversation. So, you know, the advice that Christine Carter is giving us is, really relevant in my own life and, and i use that it's the, like we said there's so many connections you can make into your own life with this one including uh folks that aren't getting enough sleep i think that's a, something that a lot of us uh, probably struggle with and i'd imagine that you're one of these people <laughs> but we had somebody else uh on staff that did, was really struggling with this yeah our own editor large shelly levitt had struggled with insomnia for years you know she she couldn't stay asleep she can go to sleep and she worked with Michael Bruce, who helped her learn how to overcome her chronic insomnia. And Michael is a, a clinical psychologist as well as a diplomat of the American Board of Sleep Medicine and a fellow of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine. And uh, this is uh, something that Michael told us when he joined Paula on the podcast. So what I call it is the rule of threes, right? And so if it takes you longer than 30 minutes to fall asleep or you wake up more than three times a night, Okay, for more than three nights a week, for more than three weeks at a time, you've got insomnia. There's a lot of different things that you can do about it. The first thing you have to figure out is why do you have the insomnia? You know, not all insomnia is kind of created equal. There are many different types. There's the I can't fall asleep, I can't stay asleep, I wake up too early. There's insomnia associated with depression, with anxiety, with pain. So there's lots of different reasons. So the first thing you have to do is identify what's the potential root cause for my insomnia. Once you've identified that, then the, the treatment path is going to be different for different people, depending upon the cause. Since probably 75% of insomnia is related to anxiety, let's choose that one to talk about. One of the things that I've instituted with many of my patients is something I call the power down hour. So you take one hour before lights out. So let's say that your lights out time will consistently be um, 11 30 because you're going to get up at 6:30, which will give you seven hours of sleep so 20 well let's say an hour before 11:30. so at 10:30, you'll take 20 minutes to do things you just have to do before the next day so get your briefcase together get the kids backpacks together find shoes whatever it is that happens to be on going on in your home those are the things that go on in my home um, then 20 minutes for hygiene and then 20 minutes for some form of relaxation, meditation, spirituality, whatever you want to do um, to help calm you down. That allows you to enter into sleep very quickly and very deeply in order to get the sleep you're looking for. 
And I think, too, an important thing, and, and, and he discussed this a little bit with us, too, is to limit your screen time kind of towards the end of the night. It, it, and I'm guilty of this, but especially if I'm, you know, I'm coming home late uh, from whatever it was we might be doing. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to catch the highlights of the game. No, <laughs> because then that'll get me wound up about the game, good or bad, and then I can't sleep either. So it really is important to give yourself that time to sort of ramp down into your night's sleep. Yeah, and the connection that sleep plays with our overall happiness is massive. If we don't give it enough rest, you know, health is a big part of happiness. And if you're not moving enough every day, if you're not getting enough rest, these are things that, or eating right, these are things that really can negatively impact your overall well-being. So we neglect sleep. We all know we need to exercise. We all know we need better. But most of us neglect sleep. So I feel like it was a really important podcast. And really... All of the things that we did around 90 Days to a Happier were fantastic. For for people who want to check it out, we've, we've preserved all of the information online. And you can go to livehappy.com slash 90 days. That's livehappy.com slash 90 days. And read all about um, the, the 90 Days to a Happier You Challenge and even participate after the fact. Yeah, absolutely. It's all right there for you. And, of course, the podcast, I believe, uh, for a while at least, will be available. So go ahead and check out the advice that they gave you, too. Now, another thing that we uh, put out this year that was incredibly exciting and stressful and fun all at the same time was the new book. And you can get this book at choosingjoybook.com. Uh, Live Happy, 10 uh, Practices for Choosing Joy. Uh, you wrote it, you put it together, and uh, it had to have been rewarding how well-received the book was. It has been really rewarding. We spent the better part of a year putting this book out, and it's available everywhere books are sold. We've gotten tremendous feedback from it. You know, Some of the responses that we've gotten have, have really been touching. You, you don't realize when you put words out into the universe what type of reaction you can get. I was reading one today uh, from a woman who had, had lost her grandparents to suicide and was in a was mm. and, and suicide homicide. And it was she was in the depths of despair, but you know she then discovered our book and was really saying how she was able to put the practices into action in her own life and was starting to see the benefits of it and we really couldn't have been thanking the uh, the staff more. Um, and we get letters like that. I don't want to say every day because we don't get letters like that every day. <laughs> We'd hope not. <laughs> we hope uh, not. Uh, but we get we get letters, um, you know, regularly telling uh, telling us or social media posts telling us how much people really really enjoy the book and how much the practices have made a difference in their lives. Well, some of the feedback that we got uh, on the podcast, because we did podcast episodes to go along with, with the 10 uh, pra- uh, practices, and some of our most popular ones were on the topics of connection, gratitude, and health. And the first clip uh, from the book series is going to be with uh, Barbara Fredrickson, who was talking about connection. And wh- why is connection so important to our happiness? Well, you know, connection may be the thing that is the most important to our happiness. There was a longitudinal study done for for 300 men so a long-term study studying 300 men and when you normalized it when you took out business success you took out um you know financial success you 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 took out being healthy none of the people were happy unless they had positive relationships in their life unless Hmm. they had really formed human connections and you know the reality is feelings of love and feeling of connection stimulate the calming feel-good brain chemical oxytocin and it limits the production of the stress hormone cortisol. So it also impacts your health and your overall well-being. Um, really, connection is almost everything. If you have to work on one thing uh, to be happier, if we had to pick out one of the 10 practices, it would be this one. 
Yeah, and it, there's so many examples of it you'll see in your life, and it, it can make you uh, more likely to engage in your work if you have good relationships with your coworkers. It can lead to promotions and all those sorts of things. But even when you have those good relationships, there are going to be those people that you're going to encounter that are going to bring some sort of negativity in your life, and you can't shut them out. You've got to work with them, and, and you've got to treat them as human beings as well. And Barbara, who, by the way, is among the most highly cited scholars in psychology, she's president of the International Positive Psychology Association. She knows what she's talking about here. She gave us some advice on the podcast on dealing with negative people. Just recognizing that there's some separation between their emotion and your emotion and trying to develop a little bit of distance and self-control about how you uh, respond to, to that negativity. And, you know, since negative experiences and negative people are going to be part of all of our lives. That's not, that's not going anytime soon. Um, what's key is seeing, well, how am I reacting to this? Am I, you know, taking their anxiety and making it my own anxiety? Or am I being, you know, as best I can constructive and trying to stay grounded and not sort of lose my own cool because this other person has lost their cool? When we're able to try to develop some resilience and some equanimity in that way, that, that can actually uh, itself be contagious and, and it changes the, the interaction that ensues. So just recognizing that we don't have to experience the same negativity that somebody else is experiencing is key. And then also seeing it as, well, this is a learning situation. Here I am learning how to not uh, necessarily just mimic that negativity or or absorb it just in its completeness and then every time you get that experience it's like well i'm learning how to sort of keep my own groundedness despite that negativity a little bit more every time and just having some self-compassion about it you know it takes a while to to develop those skills I think one thing that we've said on this podcast numerous, numerous times is that we're not about the, the, oh, you've got to eliminate all negativity in your life and you've got to just be happy and sunshining all the time. It's really about how you react to the negativity in your life. And, and what she's talking about there is a way to react to somebody who is negative. You can sort of look at the situation, assess said situation, and decide, okay, is the situation worthy of their negative reaction? And then how do you go forward from there and be the one that sort of leads the way to a positive reaction to a negative situation. It really it really comes down to it's not about them. You can't control them. It's about mm. you and you can only control the right way way you react and you really can turn a negative interaction into a neutral one and in some cases actually into a positive one. It, it's tremendous advice. I mean, and most of us kind of lose touch with that cuz we get emotionally involved, but if yeah. you can like pull back and go, "Hey, you know what? This is not about me." A lot of times it, it becomes a much more positive conversation and it's better to not escalate the situation and let that negativity boil over into other things and other relationships with the, or, or other interactions with that person absolutely we also got the chance to speak to sonia lumayerski uh, on the importance of gratitude to our overall happiness and this this is something that that really hit home for me in in an attempt to to be more grateful uh, for things why is gratitude important for people we don't Gratitude is one of my favorite of the 10 practices because it's so, I don't want to say easy, but it's so simple to put into place. Mm -hmm. If you spend time every day recognizing the things you're grateful for, just take five minutes at the end of every evening and either write down or really 
meditate on or think about three things that happened that day that you're grateful for, uh, studies show us that if we do that for 21 days in a row, we improve our overall well-being for six months. We don't have to continue to do it for six months. We don't have to do it for 21 days. But even beyond that, um, you know, being grateful, uh, if you are grateful, you experience better sleep, you have an improved immune system, and it can even lower your blood pressure. Mm. Um, and your body rewards gratitude with a shot of dopamine, which which brings pleasure, which is a pleasure-inducing chemical. Really practicing gratitude frames the way you look at the world. You start looking at the world as, as a place of abundance as opposed to a pay, place of scarcity. And, and it really is a, a key to happiness for most people. And grateful people have more positive relationships because people know uh, that you're appreciative of the interactions that you've had or the gifts that have been given or, or what have you. So it does sort of all tie together there. Yeah, that is the thing about the 10 practices. They aren't silos. They are 10 individual things. That if, right. one, if you do one, it leads to the other. It's, it's really great. It's 10 rooms of the same house rather than 10 individual towers, yeah. which, which is cool. Uh, and Sonia is the author of The How of Happiness, the first book of a highly credentialed positive psychologist that presents the latest research in sort of a how-to format, gives you sort of a guidebook. And when we talked to her, she also mentioned being authentic with your gratitude and also the problem dosage of gratitude. One of those pitfalls, which is when you try to express gratitude and it doesn't feel sincere, you don't really, you're just kind of um, going through the motions, you know, um, a lot of sort of counting blessings types exercises, I think, backfire because people just write a list of what they're grateful for, but they don't really feel it. Um, I remember someone writing down salt, like they're grateful for salt, but, you know, <laughs> it, it wasn't, it wasn't going to make an impact on their life. And so you really want to make, be authentic and and the way to do that is to maybe use a different strategy. Maybe call someone on the phone and express gratitude you know, on the phone or in person, whatever sort of works better. Another pitfall, another sort of obstacle is you don't want to uh, express gratitude too often. There's a proper dosage of gratitude, like there, just like there might be a proper dosage of a drug. And mm. so not, not too rarely, not too infrequently, but also not too often. If you try to count your blessings too often, it might backfire. It might actually make it make you think that, well, maybe I can't think of anything more to be grateful for. Maybe I don't have a lot to be grateful for. Um, and you also have to really vary what you do. Uh, in my research and others show that, that you, you really need to vary your kind of happiness increasing strategies, whether it's gratitude or doing acts of kindness or trying to be optimistic. You know, because when you're trying to sort of express gratitude in the same way every week or every day, it can lose its sort of freshness, it can lose its meaning, it, be, it can become a chore. Um, and so you have to kind of spice it up, maybe express your gratitude in a different way, uh, you know, next week and the week after that. Well, in so many ways with these practices and with individually within the practices, it's a lot like working out your physical body, right? You can't just do bench presses every single day, although I totally do, crushing reps. Uh, <laughs> but you've got to do these different practices. You've got to change it up a little bit so that you're working different parts of the brain. Yeah, it is about doing the full the full circuit. It's not just about doing one thing all the time. I mean, first of all, one thing has a benefit for a while, but it wears off. Like you said, you can do bread presses for a while. You might continue to get stronger, but there's a law of diminishing returns, right? Right. You're not going to continue to get stronger at the same rate. So, yeah, it is about having the holistic experience. And 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 
implementing as many of these things uh, as you can. And another one, we talk about gratitude. I love that one. It's something that, that I've been able to put into practice a lot better, and I'm much happier for it. Another one that I have found to be incredibly valuable, and I think it ties in, uh, again, with gratitude, is mindfulness. You know, when people ask me which of the practices has made the most difference in my life or what being um, at Live Happy has made a difference to me for, what, what, what I really tell them is mindfulness. I'm a mom. I've got three kids. I've got I've got a, a demanding job that I love, best job in the world. I've got other things in life that I like to do. You know, my parents live near me. We have family. I mean, I have friends. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, all this stuff I want to do. And the demands of time. People start talking about you know work life balance or life balance. And I I have discovered through mindfulness that 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 is not really what it's about for me. What it's about for me is being present where I need to be, when I need to be there. Hmm. So if I'm at my kid's soccer game, I'm watching my kid's soccer game. If I'm in a business meeting, I'm present in the business meeting. If I'm doing the podcast, I'm, I'm talking to JR. Right. And that makes a huge difference because it means I'm maximizing my time and I'm engaged in what I need to be engaged in. But for a lot of people, um, mindfulness really is more, they view it more about meditation. And really what it's about is just being present. It's your life. Be hmm. present in it. Don't get so caught up in what you're going to do or what you used to do or what's... There's a now going on. Sure. Look around. Be part of it. One of the things that we talked about with Matt Tenney, and, and he's going to be talking about something else in the clip, was just noticing the things around you. And then that will give you an appreciation. And we mentioned we talked about being stuck in traffic. And we're recording this in Texas in the summer and getting stuck in traffic when it's super hot out. Not so fun. No, no, not on my list of things I like to do. But then you'll know, but if you if you practice the deep mindfulness of, oh, I can feel the air conditioning hitting my, oh, well, I live in a place where I've got air conditioning that can come and save me from this horrible sweltering heat. And then that brings on the gratitude. And then it, it, it starts to sort of compound itself. I found that really interesting. Uh, Matt Tenney had a lot to say about uh, mindfulness. He's the author of The Mindfulness Edge, How to Rewire Your Brain for Leadership and Personal Excellence Without Adding to Your Schedule. And it's not about fixing everything right away. It doesn't take a very close examination to see that for our world to be a place that functions very well, um, it's not about fixing all of the, the problems, the symptoms that we see. It's about human beings being generous and kind and compassionate. You know, if if we had a world full of very wise human beings who realized that taking care of the people around them is is ultimately taking care of themselves or of their selves, then uh, we wouldn't have the problems that we see in our world. Right. So that has to start somewhere. (laughs) Of course, the only place that it can start is with us. So if we develop those qualities, if we can overcome the conditioning that makes us want to be greedy and makes us want to be self-centered uh, and makes us want to respond to a problem with anger or violence. If we, if we can overcome that conditioning and we place those, those poisons, so to speak, with the virtuous qualities of kindness and compassion and generosity, then one, we're already making an impact, right? We're already helping the people around us. Um, but if we, if we cultivate the very high levels of those qualities, then we have the ability to help others do the same. And, that through a ripple effect, you know, if if one person at a time develops those qualities and helps others do the same, it may be a thousand years from now, but eventually we might just get to a point where every human being has uprooted these poisons of greed and, and hatred, uh, and then we wouldn't see the problems that we have. Now, why I say you can you can start this or even make a significant impact on this just while you're walking to the bathroom 
is that in any moment that you've made the shift to being mindful, which I define as simply making the shift away from being our thinking, from being that voice in our head that's constantly blabbering away, to being aware of that voice, being aware of our own body even, that is the shift to being mindful. And that can be done at any time, including while you're walking to the bathroom. And as we know, uh, you know, there's a growing body of research that supports the idea that that simple shift, that shift from moving away from being our thinking to being aware of our thinking, um, reduces our egocentric tendencies and, and actually changes the brain in ways that help us to be more kind, more compassionate, more generous, more empathetic. The, these very positive, these qualities that were, these positive qualities that we're speaking of. And we talked a lot about in that episode too, recognizing the emotions that you have, and then that makes you better able to control them and better able to be more present in the emotion. Instead of thinking about how angry this makes me, you can think about, okay, well, how do I fix this situation? Or you know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to go outside of yourself and be angry about something. You can within and we'll figure this out. I'm mad now, but eventually we can make this better if we take a moment to think about it. Yeah, and it, it really is a great point. You know, it, it, once again, it's one of those things that you're only responsible for your, you can only be responsible for your own happiness. Hmm. And you can only be responsible for your own thoughts and your own actions. A lot of people get caught up in the idea that they don't have any control over what goes on between their ears. I was just angry. You still have control over how you react to that. Yeah. And, and being mindful about how you present and how, how you respond is really critical. Um, and, and I'm going to do, I'm going to do the uh, casual segue here. It's particularly critical if you're a parent is mm. how you respond to every, every situation and how your kids react and how everybody's got kids out there has just been so angry. They can hardly see straight before it just happens, yeah. you know, <laughs> it, it, it does happen, but it, you've got to react in the proper way. Uh, you know, you can't, obviously you don't want to be abusive, you, but you want to, you want to react in a way that shows your kids that you are putting these things into practice and then they'll grow up kids often grow up to be just like their parents because though they you are their role model. And so one thing that I think is great as we continue to give this information to adults is hopefully they're going to pass this on uh, to their kids, but also you can learn things from your kids as well in the way they perceive the world. Is that you've got kids Does that happen to you all the time. And you know, <laughs> one of the things that one of the things that you forget when you're an adult is how magical the world can be or how things are. And one of my favorite stories I like to tell about my son, and he's, he's nine now, but when he was about two and a half years old and we were at a movie theater watching a movie, the credits came on and the credits started to roll and he looked at me and goes, well, this is the part where we dance. And he ran to the front of the movie theater and was dancing in front of the movie screen. <laughs> and, like Dieter from Saturday Night Like This is when we dance. And then he does. And, and <laughs> what's crazy is that it became a family habit. At the end of the movie in a movie theater with the kids, the kids, now my nine-year-old's too cool for that now, and my seven-year-old is stopping, but my four-year-old refuses to leave the movie theater without dancing (laughs) in front of the empty screen. We have to dance. This is the part where we dance. And people, the surprising thing wasn't that we did it, is that people join us. Other little sure. kids come down and dance. So, like the end of the movie and the credits rolling is the dance party time, and 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 I just love it. But really, what you learn from your children is sometimes just utter joy for little things. Things you take. Who stays and watches the credits unless you know you're waiting for that little snippet of the next Marvel movie? Yeah. For the most part, we leave. Right. Exactly. No, it's their favorite part of the movie. 
it's 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 incredible uh, just seeing the because i think as we get to be adults we take certain things for granted we get a little bit jaded about certain things uh, to see it through the eyes of a child again and to, to have that sense of wonder it's like yeah there's music <laughs> yeah absolutely and we talked with uh, dr edward hollowell uh he's uh, from the harvard college and uh, Tulane School of Medicine was a faculty member at Harvard Medical School, in fact, and is a New York Times bestselling author and has authored 20 books on various psychological topics, including the power of human connection, managing excessive uh, busyness, and the childhood roots of happiness. And he talked about exactly what we're talking about, seeing the world through the eyes of a child. Spend the time with the kids, and they will infuse you with their energy, their spontaneity, their joy, their... Uh, you know, difficultness. I mean, all of that. It, it, it's not that you learn something, rather you experience something. And I, I think that's, we, we're so focused on learning, you know, these days. Everyone wants to give me, you know, what can I learn this, learn that. And, and honestly, what, what matters much more than learning something is experiencing something, you know, whether it's experiencing the delight you feel with a child and the uh, experience of discovering something or the experience of love with your spouse or the experience of a spiritual, you know, kind of uh, healing when you, you know, contemplate the meaning of life, you know, the, the, the filling of your soul. I mean, so, so, I think what we really need is, is, and kids are the greatest teachers of this, is to experience life in a new way. Hmm. And, 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 and we get so sort of entrenched in experiencing life in one way, and kids can jostle us out of that. They, they, can, they can say, you know, just they, they force us, really, to experience life differently. And instead of it being this linear, what can I learn? How can I grow? How can I progress? What progress, profit, and so on and so forth? Just spend time with the kid, and next thing you know, your whole world will change. You will experience life differently. That's the great gift that kids have to give us. I think that's it's it's a reason that, that similar experience is a reason that people like to travel it, because you'll get to experience new things in a new way instead of being you know uh, it's the same old highway that I'm on every day in our city. I think I think my wife probably laughs at me a lot because she's from here in Dallas where we're based. I'm not, and so I want to experience all of the things Dallas has to offer is stuff that she probably hasn't thought about in 20 years, you know, whatever it might be. But I'm excited to go to the to the Kennedy thing or to go go see the Dallas Cowboys or something like that. It, it's so much fun to experience new, but you don't have to travel. You can do it within your own uh, your own towns, your own homes. Yeah, there's a lot of things we take for granted. We drive by every day. We don't even notice. There's a lot of things that we've just not done. I mean, so many people fall in the rut of doing the same thing all the time. It's kind of a wake-up experience. Hey, go someplace you haven't been. Do mm -hmm. something you haven't done. Eat food you haven't eaten before. Try, you know, yeah. uh, switch from Dr. Pepper, the national drink of Texas, to, yeah. uh, <laughs> you know, to to, to some other beverage, to root yeah. beer. You know, try, yeah. try something different. Experience it. You'll pay greater attention to that and to the life and everything else that's going on around it. Be a tourist in your own town. I mean, go see the things that people want to come to your city to see. And, 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 and Take your kids to the zoo for the first time or the yeah. second time or, or take them someplace they've never been and experience it through them. It's just Absolutely. it's fantastic. 
Absolutely, and and I, that's one of the biggest reasons for me to. Uh, I talk about this all the time with with my wife. One of the biggest reasons I want to have a son is because I want to do all the things that I did with my dad again, but I want to I want to see him experience it in the same way that that I did. Yeah, it's just, and it's it's magical, and I think you look at the children, and, and you actually put with my children anyway. I'll I'll do something with my kids that I've done done with my my dad or, or my mom, and uh, I think. I don't think I realized how much my parents were enjoying us doing that. My, yeah. you know, my, my parents teaching me how to fish, you know, <laughs> right? but they did. And, and, and I'm enjoying that with my kids. We, we, my goodness, we have spent a lot of time. I, I want to get to this one here. It was a really great podcast we did with Neil Pasaricha on the happiness equation. And he actually says the first secret to happiness is to be happy first, which sounds like, okay, that's oversimplistic. Yeah. Okay. I'll just be happy by being happy. But really, it is, it's a choice that you make. You know, one of the things I loved about this talk is, you know, we, we talk a, a lot in life about exercise, a good diet, meditation. We need to read 10 pages of a good book a day. We need to do this. We need to do that. And we always say, oh, but I, if I just don't have time. The great thing about Neil is he touches on one of the secrets to happiness being you actually are never going to be too busy again. His secret is you will never be too busy again. And, and it's all about limiting choice. Now, Neil is, again, the New York Times bestselling author of the Book of Awesome series, is one of the most popular TED speakers of all time, and is the author of The Happiness Equation. Want nothing plus do anything equals have everything. And here was a snippet of uh, what he shared with us on that episode. The truth of the matter is we're all getting 147 emails a day. We're all checking our phones 150 times a day, which is once every four minutes. And we're making on average 295 plus or minus decisions a day. So of course we feel too busy. We're totally bogged down. What I articulate in the book is this concept of the three things you must eliminate. And they are choice, time, and access. Mm -hmm. Choice. It's a paradox of choice that we want to go to the movie theaters with the most movies or go to the shoe store with the most shoes. Yet the increased amount of choice actually undermines our own happiness. We second guess our decisions. We think, ah, should I've got those yellow shoes at the store instead? So actually the research suggests that when we have no choice, when we go to the restaurant and there's a famous restaurant in Toronto uh, called Ruby Watch Co., which I actually quote in the happiness equation, it has no menu. Every day, it's a full set menu. Every single person in the restaurant eats that. And it's one of the top 10 restaurants out of 7,000 in the city. It's always ranked at the top because people love the idea that someone decides for them, you know? And so what in your life is a low time, low importance decision that you can automate? You can have less choice in the matter. I actually tweeted a photo of my menu at Google. I was speaking at Mountain View at Googleplex. And I took a picture and I tweeted it of the menu for picking out my sandwich. It was like exhausting. It was like 15 kinds of bread, 15 kinds of sauces, 15 kinds of meat. And all these special options like don't make it near the meat or like extra crispy or whatever. And I'm like, is there a decision fatigue in Google question mark? But yeah, it's like, how do you eliminate choice? We both know that the only ways to replenish your decision making energy are sleep or glucose. And so that means if you're in an office setting and you can't, you don't have like a nap pod under your desk, then you're getting a chocolate bar or you're, you're going to grab something to eat. It's why people snack, why, you know, I'm speaking from 10 years at Walmart experience, why people <laughs> snack so much at work because you're just exhausted by the decision. So the first thing to eliminate to never be too busy again is choice. 
And I think that's a huge one right there. And I, I've been referencing her a lot, but my wife will be so happy when she comes home from work and I've already decided what we're having for dinner because she doesn't want to have to think about it. <laughs> She's like, I, I don't care what it is. It could be whatever, cat food. I don't care, but you chose and that's what we're doing. I don't have to think about it. Thank you. Well, one of my favorite, you know, I, whatever I listen to that clip or I, I think about Neil, I think about Albert Einstein. You know, he had the same pair of pants, the same shirt, and the same tie and jacket, and he wore them every day. Mm. He had 15 different of the exact same, so it took him no time at all to get dressed in the morning. I need a shirt, I need a coat, I need jackets, I need a tie. He's like a real-life Simpsons character. It's just the same thing for 26 years. Exactly, every (laughs) single day, because he didn't need brain power to select what he was going to wear. And yeah, who hasn't had that discussion? Where do you want to go for lunch? I don't know. Where do you want to go for lunch? I don't know. Where do you want to go for lunch? And I'm like, uh, okay, I don't care. I'm going here. Yeah. <laughs> and it, 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 it is exhausting. He's got a point there. And, you know, limiting choice doesn't mean limiting life. And I think that's where uh, some people get mistaken. They think if they're limiting the choices or if they don't examine all their choices, that they're somehow giving up on something. But the reality is by taking so long to decide they're giving up on something, which is yeah. the time to do something more important. Or more enriching. And it's nice to have a freedom of choice. We have plenty of choices in this country, but it's also nice by limiting it yourself to have that freedom from choice and and save that time. Just get it out of the way, get it done, and and take away that stress. Yeah, use that power to make important decisions, not do you want fries with that. (laughs) That's a perfect note to end on right there, to be honest. We're not going to top that. Uh, Deborah Ice, we've had so much fun this first year of Live Happy Now. Uh, again, we're going to be launching a brand new season uh, coming up in late August, and we've got some great stuff lined up for that. We've already had a few of the conversations, uh, preliminary conversations with people. Really excited as this thing uh, really begins to take off, and I'm and I'm glad that you've been able to be a part of it with us. No, it's like it's my favorite part of Live Happy. Actually, I mean, I love Live Happy. I love everything about it. I love the magazine. I love LiveHappy.com. Um, I, I love talking. Of course, I love the book, but I really, really, really love doing the podcast. I learn so much from doing them. We get to talk to so many great people. It, it's, it enriches me to have the conversation as much as I hope it enriches our listeners. Yeah, we really hope that uh, that you out there listening are taking something from this. And we always want to hear from you. Of course, we're doing the, the survey right now, livehappy.com slash survey. It's, it's two minutes and we'll give you some free stuff maybe if you fill out the survey questions because we're not above bribery. Uh, <laughs> not at all. Uh, but we also have our uh, Twitter page. You can react to anything we do at Live Happy, Facebook.com slash Live Happy, or uh, podcast at LiveHappy.com. And we also encourage you to follow us on Instagram by searching My Live Happy. And uh, maybe if you need those little breaks during the day uh, for some happiness or some inspiration, I know that the cat videos occasionally get posted on our Instagram page. <laughs> they do. It just, it just happens. I know. And one of them is actually my cat. So they're, uh, it, it, I, that one's been out, right? The one, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sadie, my cat, steals a Cheeto. So she's a star. <laughs> Check it out. Looking forward to seeing more of you coming up in Season 2, Deborah. And uh, for, for, for you and all of our guests and all of our listeners in Season 1, thank you so much. And remember to always live happy.